Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, could you turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 8? Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we pray uh, that you help us as we come to look at your word together. Uh, we pray that uh, your spirit uh, would uh, strengthen me uh, as I seek to preach it. Uh, and we pray that your spirit would help each of us uh, as we listen, uh, that you would open our eyes um, to see and love uh, and appreciate Jesus more and more, and in doing so, to obey him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If God is real, let him prove himself to me by doing a miracle. I'm a good, moral, religious person without Jesus. I don't need him. I'm interested in Christianity, but I don't want to commit. Family love. If you've been kind enough to your friends to share your faith in Jesus with them, you've probably heard them say some of these things. You might have even said them yourself. These kind of statements are not new. In fact, Jesus anticipated them and warned us about the attitudes behind them. And we will hear his warning in our passage today. But before we get to the warning, we get to see Jesus do yet another miracle. Last week, you may recall, Jesus healed a deaf and mute man. And this was in the Gentile, that is the non-Jewish, region of the Decapolis. And as far as we can tell, he's still in that general area in our passage today. But it's sometime later, and now there's a large crowd around him, and they have nothing to eat. This reminds us of what happened back in Mark chapter 6. There he fed a Jewish crowd of 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish and had 12 baskets left over. So we wonder, is he about to do something like that again? Well, Jesus calls his disciples to him in verse 2 of, of chapter 8, and he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Now, this crowd, they must have been pretty keen to hear God's word. Keen enough to follow Jesus out into this desolate place, far from civilization. And, you know, when Jesus fed the Jewish crowd in the desolate place, they only mean there for a day. These guys have been with Jesus now three days. They have no food. Some of them are far away from home. They're in a vulnerable position. And Jesus cares for the crowd. He has compassion on them. He has led them into the wilderness, and he will not abandon them there. He wants to provide for them. His disciples ask him in verse 4, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, I'm sure they haven't forgotten his previous feeding miracle, but they're not being presumptuous either, because the shepherd king feeds his flock. That's the flock of Israel. These people are Gentiles. What would Jesus do with these people? Well, Jesus asked them in verse 5, How many loaves do you have? They say seven. He directs the crowd to sit on the ground. And then, just like he did before, he takes the loaves, he gives thanks, he breaks them, he gives them to his disciples to set before the people. To take bread, give thanks, break it, and give it, 
That's exactly what Jesus did before, and that's what he will do again. It's the classic way Jesus presides at a meal. And following his example, that's what we do as well when we share at his supper. Well, the disciples distribute the bread to the crowd. And as they have a few small fish, Jesus says a blessing for them as well, and, and tells his disciples to distribute them. Uh, verse 8 tells us that the people eat and are satisfied. And not only that, when the disciples take up the broken pieces of bread, there are no longer just seven loaves. There are seven baskets full. There is an abundance of food. And that is after feeding 4,000 people. Another incredible miracle. Now, why is Mark telling us this? Well, to start with, he's helping us to see the identity of Jesus. Now, more than 800 years before this, the prophet Elisha also performed a miracle, a feeding miracle, that was actually very small compared to this one. Jesus is greater than Elisha, and Elisha was greater than Elijah, and some people thought that Jesus was Elijah. But from we can see from this that the thinking is too small. We need to be looking at something much bigger to understand this miracle of Jesus. You may recall, 1,500 years before this, God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And he was bringing them to the promised land. And he, he took them through the desert on the way. They had no food. They were in a completely vulnerable position. But God himself miraculously fed his people in that desolate place. And by doing so, he showed them that their survival was not dependent on their abilities, but entirely on him. And now, Jesus miraculously feeds this crowd, like God fed his people in the wilderness. This is not the same feeding as the Exodus, but it's an echo of it. The miracle also reminds us of the promise, the promise that the prophet Isaiah gives in Isaiah 25 of the feast of the end of the age. In the end, there's a picture as a, as a big celebration where God feeds his people from across the world rich food and fine wine, where he swallows up death forever and wipes away every tear from their eyes. And at the end time feast, God is the one who will miraculously feed his people. This is not that feast but it's a foretaste of it. And so in this feeding miracle, Mark is helping us to see the identity of Jesus. He is God, the Good Shepherd, who cares for his people in this troublous life and will one day bring them to the promised land of the new creation. But you know what? We would have got all that from the previous feeding miracle in Mark 6. And in fact, we did. Mark doesn't need to tell us about this one. So why is he telling us? Well, remember, this is the last of three miracles that Mark tells us about in Gentile country. The first, the one that got this section started, was when the Gentile woman begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter, asking Jesus for the scraps of his ministry. And having established the priority of the Jewish mission at that point, Jesus cast the unclean spirit from her daughter. And then once again, in Gentile territory, Jesus healed the deaf-mute man, which we saw last week was one of the prophesied blessings for Israel when God would come to save them. And now he feeds this Gentile crowd 
like Israel was fed in the wilderness. Do you see, the blessings promised to Israel are going to the Gentiles, even if they're just a little bit at this point, just the, just the scraps the Gentile woman asked for. But from the feeding miracles, we see that Jesus is so great that even the scraps of his ministry are actually abundant. And these scraps anticipate the time when the Gentiles will be fully included among God's people, the time we are living in now, when the gospel is going out to all the world, and Jesus, the King of the Jews, has become our King. And so this feeding miracle not only tells us the identity of Jesus, but also the scope of his ministry. Jesus is God the Shepherd who cares for his people, not just the Jews, but the whole world. Now, after the miracle, Jesus sends the crowds away. He gets into the boat with his disciples, and they cross the Lake of Galilee to the district of Damanutha. They are back in Jewish territory. And the Pharisees come and start to argue with him again. The last time we met Pharisees, they were accusing Jesus' disciples of breaking with tradition. This time, these pious religious men want a sign from heaven to test him, or tempt him, or trap him. Now think about that. Jesus has made the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, according to the Old Testament, which they should know. That is what happens when God comes to save his people. And Jesus has fed people in the wilderness, not once but twice, like God did in the Exodus. Jesus has driven out unclean spirits. He has cleansed the leper. He has made the unclean clean. And that's just what he did publicly. Though admittedly, all those things he did in love and compassion for the people who were in front of him, not as a showman to prove himself, but he still did them. And now they come, as his judges and critics, again trying to discredit him, but in a new way, by demanding a sign. And in verse 12, he sighs deeply in his spirit, and he says this, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He will not do tricks for them on cue. And in fact, in the next verse, he leaves them, gets into the boat again, goes to the other side. A decisive rejection of their demands. In the next scene, Jesus and his disciples are in the boat, having walked away from the Pharisees. And the disciples realize they, they forgot to bring bread. They only have one loaf with them. Now, we don't tend to worry about these things when going on trips because, well, we can always pick up bread from the 7-Eleven. Or we could just stop by McDonald's or the Nasi Champo stores on the way, depending on our preferences. But these guys have got a lake crossing to do, and they're heading to Donoware. They've only got one loaf of bread between them. And Jesus comes out with this statement in verse 15. He says, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Maybe he's been sitting there thinking about the kind of things we've been looking at in these last two chapters. And this is his conclusion, his warning, his application for the disciples, in which case it's very important for us. But you know, you know how your friends say something and you've been thinking about something else and so you misunderstand what they're saying and they think that 
that they're talking about your problem? Well, well, the disciples were worried that they have no bread. And because Jesus used the word leaven or yeast, they think Jesus is talking about that, but he's not. Uh, and so knowing their discussion, he says to them in verse 17, Why do you discuss the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? In other words, are you like the Pharisees? You remember the Pharisees were like the people of Isaiah 6, which we read about a few weeks ago. Now, part of God's judgment on the people of Isaiah's day was a spiritual blindness and deafness and hardness of heart. And that's what happened to the Pharisees, that they can see the miracles, but they don't get the significance, so they don't see. They can hear the teaching, but they don't understand, so they don't hear. Their hearts are hardened, so they don't believe. And when Jesus speaks in parables, he doesn't even explain it to them. So they are confirmed in that culpable unbelief. That's the Pharisees. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, are you like that as well? And he says, look, don't, don't, don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? I said, 12. That feeding was for the Jews, and 12 is the full number of Israel. And then in verse 20, the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. That was the feeding for the Gentiles, and seven is the number of completion. Jesus really is God, come to his people, Jew and Gentile. The disciples have seen him do these miracles with their own eyes. They even help distribute the bread and collect the leftovers. They are Jesus' followers, not his enemies. The Pharisees, yeah, they're blinded in their unbelief. You can understand. But the disciples, did they get it? And he says to them in verse 21, he says, Do you not yet understand? And it seems like these disciples didn't really understand, and at least to that point. For it's not just the Pharisees who had blind eyes and deaf ears, even the disciples were like that. And in fact, truth be known, apart from the work of God's Spirit, we would be like that as well. But notice the word yet in Jesus' question. There is hope that one day their eyes will be opened. But that's not something they can do themselves. That would take a miracle. And that's the same for us. Whether we come as enemies of Jesus or we come as his friends and followers, it takes a miracle of God's Spirit to open our spiritual eyes to actually see him and believe him and appreciate him for who he is. And the miracle, the opening of the disciples' eyes and ours, will be pictured in the very next story when Jesus will open the eyes of a blind man in two stages. We'll look at that next week. But for now, let's go back to the warning of Jesus in verse 15. He says, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The words translated watch out and beware are actually two different words to do with seeing. Jesus wants his disciples to have their eyes open, not just to who he is, but also to the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And we know he's not literally talking about bread. He's choosing the metaphor of leaven because, well, they just had a good feeding. And leaven's a good metaphor because you need a little bit for a lot of effect. Just to need, you just need a little bit for a lot of effect. And it's got negative connotations in the Old Testament, which we won't explore today. 
And so when Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, he's talking about their attitude. And with the Pharisees, that's expressed in their hypocritical teaching. In the previous chapter, Jesus criticized the Pharisees for nullifying the word of God by their traditions. They thought that by observing the man-made rules, they could make themselves clean. But it was their hearts that were unclean. Out of their hearts came all kinds of sin. They were hypocrites because they pretended to be clean when actually they weren't. And that's what they were teaching other people to do as well. And because they thought they were clean, they rejected the only one who could really clean their hearts. And instead of coming to him and begging for him, begging him for help like that Gentile woman, instead of letting Jesus save them like that deaf mute man, they came to Jesus and they tested him by demanding signs. They set themselves up as judge and wanted him to prove themselves to them. And Jesus warns his disciples about that kind of attitude. And what about Herod? Well, Mark told us before about Herod, back in chapter 6, just before the feeding of the 5,000. You can go and read it later. Herod liked to listen to John the Baptist, but, but he never repented at his preaching. He was scared of him because he knew he was right, but, but he kept him in prison because John criticized him. And in the end, he killed him because of family pressure, and he didn't want to lose face in front of his guests. Herod was happy to hear the message, but there was no change in his heart. And Jesus warns his disciples not to be like that either. And friends, that warning is not just for the disciples. Jesus is telling us today to beware, to open our eyes to the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. There are some people who are like the Pharisees. They think they are fine because, well, they keep the rules. So they don't need to come to Christ for salvation. They look so moral, so decent, so acceptable. But if you dig into their heart, they're actually just like the rest of us unclean on the inside. They are hypocritical because they won't see it or admit it or come to Jesus to be cleansed. If that is you, then please repent. Don't think that you don't need Jesus because you're already moral or religious. Actually, we all need him. We all need his death on the cross to take away our sins. It's only his blood shed for us that can make us clean on the inside. Beware! of the leaven of the Pharisees. And if you're someone who's already a believer, don't let that leaven infect you even a little bit. Just a bit of leaven affects the whole loaf. Never think you're so good. Keep a humble heart. Know your own sinfulness. But for every one time you look at your sinful heart, look ten times at the mercy of Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. He took your place under God's judgment so that he can make you clean, so you can come before him, become before God in his righteousness and be accepted by God, not because of the extra rules you keep, but because of the grace that he has lavished upon you in his son. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And don't echo the Pharisees' demand for a sign either. Don't tell God, if you are real, then you must do this or that. Don't say to Jesus, oh, if you want me to follow you, you must do this miracle or that miracle to prove yourself to me. God has given you all the signs that you need already. The ultimate sign he has given you is the death and resurrection of his son. In the resurrection of Christ, God has clearly vindicated his sons. You have the signs you need. He gave it to you. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And for those who are already trusting in Christ, 
Don't be like the Pharisees, even a little bit. Don't let your faith depend on God doing signs for you. And don't demand that God does signs to convince other people either. God is capable of miracles, there's no doubt about that. But God doesn't want us to rest our faith on signs that are done before our eyes. He wants us to, to trust in His Word, to be content with the signs that He has done, which are more than enough if the Spirit opens your eyes to see them rightly. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And beware of the leaven of Herod as well. Don't be like him. Don't just enjoy listening to God's messengers. Don't just toy with God's Word. Don't even just be afraid of God. And certainly don't reject him due to pressure from others. Listen to God's word and believe in Jesus to whom it points and let him take over as king of your life. And for those who are already in God's kingdom, that don't be like Herod even just a little bit. Don't, don't listen to God's word and then not do what he says. Don't be more concerned about what other people think of you than what God thinks of you. And if you've made a mistake, admit it and repent. Don't sin even more in order to save face. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Friends, Jesus is God who has come to save, rule, and feed his people. His people are now the Jews who believe in him and us Gentiles who believe in him as well. He is God the Good Shepherd who cares for his people. He loves us and has compassion upon us. He will not abandon us in a desolate place. He will feed us and sustain us through this troublous life and will one day bring us to the promised land of the new creation. Just beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the Good Shepherd King who cares for us, his people. Thank you that he has brought us into his kingdom from all over the world. Thank you that he loves us and has compassion upon us. Please help us to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Please help us always to, to be aware of our own sinfulness and and hence our need for Jesus day by day. But may that awareness never drive us to despair, but into the loving arms of the one who died, so we might be completely forgiven. Please help us never to presume to put Jesus to the test, never demand signs, but rather open our eyes to the signs you've already given us, especially the sign of the resurrection, where, where you vindicated your Son once and for all, and please help us to be people who not only hear your word, but repent and obey you, even if it causes us to lose face in front of others. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.